0: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Pre-America. I do one to make friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, put it in context. Call me. 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet. Jim Cramer. Today, the stock market had a very simple, methodical message. I see London. I see France. I see you in your underpants. You know, I always hated that ditty when I was a kid, but you know what? It perfectly describes today's action, where the average got clobbered at the opening. And then the sellers were caught with their pants down as stocks rebounded. they Dow only closing down just 20 points, as it be tipping just 0.15%, and NASDAQ backsliding 0.47%. Yep, this morning, investors saw London, and they saw France, not to mention Milan and Madrid. Specifically, they saw the European bourses getting hammered as COVID cases came roaring back on the continent. They figured we'd import those losses from Europe, so they furiously sold their stocks to get out ahead of the weakness. Many of these jokers were probably trading in their pajamas, maybe the ones with feet, Dr. Denton's. As the problems of Europe came cascading down to our shores, panic pretenders here dumped shares at a 10 to 1 ratio, meaning there were 10 shares for sale or down for every one share someone was trying to buy. Now, the late, great Mark Haynes, one of CNBC's finest, always used that 10 to 1 ratio to call bottoms, including the generational bottom that he nailed in March of 2009. When the ratio of sellers to buyers is 10 to 1, he would say you have to hold your nose and buy because that kind of fear rarely lasts. Usually it leads to what we call a crescendo of selling followed by a nice rebound. Sure enough, this morning's European-inspired sell-off turned out to be the perfect buying opportunity. I see London, I see France, I see sellers in their underpants. But it's not just these weak hands that got too scared this morning. The fact is, we were able to bounce because, I I don't know, I was looking at a little, I didn't take the geography class, but I am absolutely certain of this. The United States is not Europe. And that's something that pajama traders still haven't figured out. Now, I know we got a global economy. These days, we're all connected by cell phone. We can trade anything we want in Europe with a keystroke. We do a lot of business over there, and they do a lot of business over here. That's where it ends, though. So you can't just extrapolate from there to here. It doesn't work that way anymore. Europe's a different continent, for heaven's sake. Hey, why don't I tick these things down so you know what the heck I'm talking about? The way this kind of extrapolation is so wrong— it, 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 it leads you astray. It led many people astray today. I, I'm, de- I'm determined to stamp it out. First, COVID. Europe did a much better job of tamping down the virus than we did. But then they eased up on the restrictions, and it's once again spreading like wildfire. Almost every country in Europe is now experiencing record case levels day after day, just like they were back in March and April. Why? Why? Well, because this virus is relentless. The moment you reopen certain facilities, and here I've got to tell you, when you reopen the bars and the restaurants, you're back in COVID transmission business. While the Europeans embraced mass, they made the mistake of thinking they had the pandemic under control. The same mistake we made before we had our second wave. When you reopen the bars, I am telling you you're asking for trouble. Now, Europe's seeing a horrific wave of new infections, and it looks like they're on the verge of going back into lockdown. In some countries, like Spain, where my daughter lives, that means the government tells you when you can go out, when you can get groceries, and if you violate those rules, you pay a stiff fine. So a lot of people looked at Europe and figured America must be headed back into a lockdown, too. But well, you know what? That's just not going to happen. It's just not politically viable in this country. When Europe shut down, their governments made sure everyone kept getting paid. That's what they did. We can't reliably do that here. We can't even pay the people who work at restaurants who are being fired, which means another shutdown would absolutely devastate the economy. Plus, there's way too much political opposition to shutting down. The governors and mayors are not going to let it happen. They might close the bars and restaurants, but they won't shut everything down. We are not going to follow them. Second, when these European economies get shut down, they take their banks with them. The European banks are all more thinly capitalized than even the worst American banks. There's a reason why Santander and Deutsche Bank, the two largest in Europe, sell for two bucks and nine bucks, respectively. Two bucks? Actually, Santander is under two bucks. And don't even get me started on the Italian banking system. Without massive government intervention, they could have a financial crisis on their hands any minute. But our banks... They're doing just fine. We're going to tell you more about them later. And they're much less linked to Europe than these stupid traders think they are. Much less than a decade ago, definitely. Hey, you know what? Their banks need tons of capital. Our banks, we have too much capital, way too much capital. It's night and day. There's no linkage, people. Third, Europe has closed its doors to American travelers who are, in many cases, huge sources of tourist capital. The Europeans figured we were reckless COVID brigands who'd cause another wave of outbreaks. Nope. Turns out our government just didn't take the virus seriously, and the moment European governments stopped taking it seriously, they ended up in the exact same boat as us. At this point, they might as well reopen their borders to American travelers. Not that anybody's doing much traveling anyway. The point, though, is that we haven't had any real travel with Europe in months. Their tourists don't go here, and our tourists don't go there. So these new outbreaks don't change anything. Fourth, most American companies diversified away from Europe a long, long time ago. Remember, even before COVID, had, uh, COVID the Eurozone had been limping along for years. Europe hasn't been a great growth a- engine in ages. I'm not saying it's unimportant. There's a lot of people. There's like 800 million people over there. But... American firms that try to do business there often end up getting burned. Like when GE Fools, who bought that ALSIM for far more than it was worth and wasn't able to rationalize it at all, they're still paying the price for that stupid acquisition. Sure, the consumer packaged goods place move a lot of merchandise over there, but they won't be hurt by a recession. Same goes for McDonald's, for Nike, for Starbucks. Fifth, finally, our big tech companies still do tons of business in Europe, but these are all stay-at-home economy stories. The biggest threat to them is the European regulators. France and the Netherlands just reached a deal to go after 20 American tech companies for for unfair practices. Oh, but we've seen this before. And usually the problem goes away after our tech firms pay some kind of fine. It's a shakedown. Europe doesn't have a tech sector that can rival ours. So it's not like they can take the business elsewhere, but periodically they get hit up for big money. No big deal. Business as usual. Check, please. All that said, yes, COVID is making a third run at us here. We're still jokers when it comes to testing and contact tracing. I use, Look, I call it like it really is, all right? Jokers. Okay, I'm not going to mince words. 200,000 people die from for everything. We don't have a national strategy in every state. It's like it's like if Montana were to fight against Japan and, Mon- and uh, Nebraska was going against Germany in World War II. That's kind of what we're doing. I don't think it's efficient. But unlike Europe, we've gotten used to the pandemic because uh, it never really went away. We spent months coming up with coping strategies to protect our most vulnerable. In Europe, they thought they had the virus beaten. They had months where things were almost back to normal. And now the COVID's come roaring back. It's like the reliving what happened in March. The bottom line, on a day like today, where the morning traders foolishly dump everything, you've got to pounce and do some buying. I don't know when the next Bible dip will come along. But when it happens, and it's one of these ones where the pajama traders cause it, I want you to be ready. I need to go to Ann in my home state of New Jersey. Ann. Yes, from
1: Mount Laurel. Hi, Jim. Mount Laurel. Go Eagles. Yes. Yeah. I'm calling about IBM and was wondering if now is the time to entertain the idea of buying the stock. After the announcement last week about the spinoff of their infrastructure unit.
0: You know, I I bumped into an old IBMer yesterday when I was uh, walking to go out to dinner, and the person said, you know, why aren't you tough for an IBM? And, you know, the truth is, is that IBM has not been a good stock. Uh, It does give you a 5% yield. They are splitting in two. I like the plan by Arvind Krishna. I think it can work, but you have to be very, very patient, and most people aren't that patient. Hey, let's go to Ray in New York. Say, Ray. Hey, Jim, how are you? I am real good. How about you?
1: Very good. My question is, over the last two years, what the heck happened to Halliburton? We see it in the, was the oil business. 45.
0: Well, it was in the oil business. I mean, that's an uninvestable business. Um, you just don't want to touch oil and gas. Remember, there's tobacco, there's coal, and there's oil and gas, and they're all uninvestable. And I'm not recommending them, and I think one day people will say, you know what? That Kramer, that Kramer... No, they won't say anything. They don't, unless it's critical. All right, on a day like today, it was key to pounce and do some buying because the pajama traders freaked out again. Next time we get a Bible dip, I need you to be ready. On Man Money Tonight, yet another electronic vehicle company just came public via SPAC. Feel like it's uh, the movie Groundhog Day? Ah, you're not alone. I'm taking a closer look at the newly minted company. Then earnings season kicked off with big banks reporting results. I'm parsing through the numbers. I'm going to tell you everything you need to know and then some. And it's been a tough week for Sorrento Therapeutics. With plenty of skeptics surrounding the stock, I'm going straight to the CEO to get the latest on the action. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer, hashtag MadTweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at one 800 743
1: cnbc Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
0: Over the summer really unprecedented happened with the stock market. We got deluge with these things called special purpose acquisition companies, SPACs. Basically, these are just a handful of managers with a big pot of money that they can use to make deals. Blank checks, people call them. And then those SPACs, as they are known, all seem to follow the same playbook. Rather than doing a bunch of smaller takeovers to help some niche industry, they pursued big deals with high-flying privately held startups. And a lot of them had to do with electric vehicle startups because you love them. The public loves them. In fact, they can't resist. These packs jumped on board the electric hype train, but the hype train rarely takes you to where you want to go. All aboard! Too much hype. And a stock is almost guaranteed at this point. And that's why I warned you away from that Nikola from the get-go. Printing it would spike higher, then come crashing down, which is exactly what happened. Then it had another leg lower after catching some spectacular fraud accusations. Some really outrageous stuff, like filming their truck rolling down a hill, then adjusting the footage to make it look like the truck was motoring under its own power. I mean, come on, you got to admit that. But I know many of you are intrigued by these electric special purpose acquisition vehicles, and we are an interactive show, and we deliver. So when I got a call from Nick in New Jersey who wanted to know about Kensington Capital Acquisition Corp., and I didn't know it, but apparently it's merging with QuantumScape, a company that's developing, yep, next-gen batteries for, well, you guessed it, electric vehicles, I promise I'd circle back, and I'm going to do it. But I've been overwhelmed here. You see, there's a lot of interest in a company called Spartan Energy Acquisition too. That's the one that's merging with Fisker later this month. You've been seeing maybe my interaction in Twitter. With Mr. Fisker, he's quite a tweeter. So are many of you who back him. See, Fisker's actually easy. He's a brilliant designer, CEO. He's created some gorgeous cars. And, you know, they just announced a big deal just today with Magna International, a company we like very much. That's a giant Canadian auto supplier, parts maker. And that Magna is going to make their vehicle platform and build their SUV. That and the addition of service ServiceNow's Bill McDermott, quite familiar with him from our show, onto the board represents some shrewd authentication for this small company, of which I've got to tell you is making all the right moves this time. So, so far, though, there have been uh, more than a half dozen of these deals. There's Lordstown Motors. There's Canoe. There's Luminar, XL Fleet, ChargePoint, Hylion. Hey, let's get, a, let's get an ETF SPAC. In fact, there's been so much buzz that, that some electric vehicle startups have started actively looking for SPACs to buy them. Can I just tell you, this is absolutely nuts. And I say that as someone who really firmly believes in electric vehicles. You know I've been a huge fan of Tesla. I started pounding the table a year ago, and since then, the stock's up, I don't know, 640%. Better than a sharp stick in the eye. I think fossil fuels are on the way out. You know, I feel that oil and gas is uninvestable, but I also think you need to be careful with these relatively early stage startups getting big cash infusions from SPACs. Yesterday, Bloomberg ran a really terrific piece about Bollinger Motors, an electric truck startup that's been hesitant to take the money. Their CEO says it's too soon. The company's not ready for the scrutiny that comes with being publicly traded. Sounds like a smart fella. Unfortunately, he's an outlier. So since we're being flooded with early-stage electric vehicle plays coming public via reverse mergers, I am going to keep shining a light on them to see if any might be worth owning. Remember, I told you I'm open-minded about Fisker, Uh, and I did warn you away from Nikola. Next on the menu, a few weeks ago, Tortoise Acquisition Corp. Not like the tortoise I had. Remember Cactus that I gave to the Natural Wildlife Foundation because it's going to live to 120 and it's really big? No, this is Tortoise Corp. This merged with an alpha called Hylion, H Y I I L O N, And that's it's working on a powertrain system for both hybrid and fully electric trucks. I think we should just call it the symbol, which is H-Y-L-N, Hylon. Now, now this unlike many of these electric backstories, Hylion, H-Y-L-L-I-O-N, actually has it has a product. I'm not kidding. It actually has one. Wonder of wonders. Miracle of miracles. They're not selling many of them yet. Although uh, they've begun to uh, be deployed in some large fleets of trucks. Longer term, they're betting on a powertrain system for electric trucks called the HyperTruck ERX, where they replace the traditional diesel engine with a bank of batteries that recharge via onboard tanks of CNG, or compressed natural gas. We know compressed natural gas can reduce carbon emissions by 25%. At some point in the future, Hylian also says they'll explore drivetrains for trucks that run on hydrogen fuel cells. We like that. Remember, that's green. We call that green energy. But not until the infrastructure is more built out. Now, I see some real positives here. Hylion actually owns its battery technology, something that's surprisingly unique among these electric vehicle plays that seem to license anything. There's also a software angle. We love software. Maybe the biggest selling point, though, is the fact that we already have infrastructure for compressed natural gas. There are hundreds of these stations across the country. On the other hand, Hylion is not exactly doing something revolutionary here. As we already have trucks that run on natural gas. Nobody really likes them other than some of these waste companies. Why go with natural gas rather than, say, hydrogen fuel cells? Because it'll be years before we have a cost-effective way of producing environmentally friendly hydrogen. Compressed natural gas is here already, and it's already an improvement from diesel or gasoline. Plus, if you use renewable natural gas, stuff that's recaptured from the landfills or wastewater plants, that's why I said the, uh, the, the waste managers of the world love these things, then it's carbon neutral or it can be carbon negative Why focus on the powertrain? Hylion figured that designing a new truck was a fool's game. You've already got truck makers with lots of capacity and happy customers. They realized they had a better shot of simply improving those trucks with a a new and improved powertrain rather than starting from scratch. Makes sense. Hylion's CEO, Thomas Healy, only 28 years old, but he seems like a brilliant engineer. I'm not going to hold that age against him. When he was still in school, he developed an electrified axle that makes trucks more efficient, adding more power, more torque, while also improving gas mileage and lowering emissions. Every time you brake, the battery captures some of that excess energy and uses it to recharge. Over time, that electronic axle evolved into Hylion's current electric powertrain. You gotta admit, that does sound like a pretty cool science project. We know that Agility, a privately held logistics company, has already pre-ordered a thousand of these powertrain systems, and they also invested directly into Hylion alongside their SPAC backer. Going forward, management thinks they can sell 4,100 hybrid powertrains in 2022. Not that far from here. 2,500 of their Hypertruck ERX systems, if they can get there, that could be worth $344 million in revenue. Very impressive, considering they only expect to make $8 million next year. These numbers seem optimistic to me, but if they come anywhere close, well, it'd be very positive. And remember, through the lens of Tesla, anything could happen. So where do I come down on this? Look, I like that Hylion has an actual product. I think that's terrific. I like that it's a business, not merely a business plan in search of businesses. Highland feels much closer to being a reality than most of these early-stage electric vehicle plays. And they've clearly put a lot of thought into how to get their technology out there without needing to upend the entire trucking industry. Of course, the dirty secret here is that Highland's not necessarily an electric vehicle play. They're working on electric power for trucks that run on diesel and natural gas. I don't think it's a big deal, though, unless Tesla comes along with a plug-in battery-powered truck. My big concern here is the stock price. When Curtis Acquisition announced the Hylion deal, its stock spiked from $10 in mid-June to $34 less than two weeks later. It cooled off from those levels before roaring to the mid-50s after Tesla really took off in August. Now, I have repeatedly warned you about the way these SPACs trade. They tend to spike going to the deal, and then they pull back hard when the transaction went through in late September. The newly minted Hylion stood at 53. Since then, it's come right back down, falling to 28 as of today. I don't know if you've seen it. It's been hideous. Uh, The darn thing got way too hot for its own good. Icarus. Bottom line, given the trajectory of these SPAC deals, I'm betting highly on will have more downside before it bottoms. But I have to tell you, I kind of like the story. And I think it's worth buying if you can get the stock around 20 bucks, maybe less. Please be patient. Let it come to you. And stick with Kramer. run the first gauntlet of earnings season. And that's the banks. They always start the earnings season off. Now, we've now heard from all the major money centers and investment banks. If you only looked at the action in their stocks, you know what? They paint a kind of confusing picture. Citigroup, JP Morgan, Bank of America, Wells Fargo all sold off after they reported. Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley rallied. Bye, bye, bye. Then Goldman gave back all of its gains and then some. Sell, 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 Remember, sell. by the way, they have a window that opens after their report so uh, people can sell. It's, it's been happening for ever since they came public. But you know what? The action really doesn't tell you the whole story. When you drill down into the results, we've got three distinct tiers of financials. And I've got to tell you, these guys shouldn't even be lumped in anymore with these guys. That's how different their models are. At the top, you have the investment banks, Goldman Sachs, Morgan, Stanley. We know this is not... A great environment for the big money center banks. They've got too much to do with that yield curve that's so flat. But the investment banks are having a blast. They don't do much lending, so they don't have huge loan losses to worry about. And their trading operations are on fire. And so are their money management businesses. They're asset gathering. In the second tier, you've got the good money centers, J.P. Morgan and Bank of America. They both reported solid results, and they really don't deserve to be lumped in with the lowest tier, which are Citi and Wells Fargo. These two are unambiguously the worst. Uh, Uninspiring quarters made you feel like both institutions are simply too big, maybe even too unwieldy to control. Now, the financials are very important to the border market. They tend to punch well above their weight class. Remember, they involve credit, and credit's what drives business. So let's just take them one by one. We need to know what these companies have to say, especially when the industry's got problems. When it comes to the top-tier investment banks, business is real good. Earlier this week, Goldman Sachs reported a spectacular earnings beat. Then today, Morgan Stanley shot the lights out. The core investment banking stuff, trading stock, bond notions, issuance, advising companies on mergers, it is just so strong. Morgan Stanley's also pivoted dramatically toward wealth management, which is a phenomenal and fantastic, stable business. I think it's absurd that Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs both sell for nearly 10 times, 9, 10 times. They're actually t- t- cheaper than these guys. These stocks get no love, but I think they're absolutely worth buying as long as you're patient which is why we own Goldman for my charitable trust. If we didn't, we would buy a big slug of Morgan Stanley, A CEO James Gorman has systematically de-risked the company while buying E-Trade, which we thought was terrific. That just closed. And they just announced Eaton Vance. Another great idea. It's an asset-gathering machine, and that's a consistent secular growth sticky business. As for the big money center banks, well, let's start with J.P. Morgan. That's the best of the bunch. I reported a larger, largely better than expected quarter on Tuesday morning. The company gave you a strong top and bottom line beat, fueled in part by much smaller than anticipated provisions for credit losses. Now, a lot of us were worried about bad loans because so many small businesses are going under and millions have lost their jobs. We know that, right? Wall Street expected J.P. Morgan to take a $2.54 billion hit on loan loss provisions. Turns out they merely took $611 million. So people were pretty excited. Initially, the stock rallied in response to the earnings release. But you know what? You're never safe, I tell you. never safe until until the conference call is is over when it comes to these stocks, especially with J.P. Morgan. Turns out uh, they're seeing lower-than-expected credit losses because they've given many borrowers extensions to get their finances in order or get bailed out by the government. In other words, it's not that J.P. Morgan's seeing miraculously few bad loans. It's more that they've postponed the reckoning on bad loans until next year. Beyond that, the analyst hectored management about the one bad line item, lower than expected net interest income, about what you expect when rates are this low. Come on, guys, get off, get over it. I think they should have been more focused on the strength in commercial, corporate, and investment banking, not to mention CEO Jamie Dimon's excellent expense management. It was a very fine quarter. If you have to wait for the inflection in the yield curve, you might miss what could happen here. How about the other solid money center bank, Bank of America? Oh, on Tuesday, these guys reported it basically. Good quarter. Small earnings beat. coupled with a modest revenue miss. Wasn't a great quarter. Unlike JP Morgan, Bank of America took a pretty sizable provision for credit losses, though. I think that's why the stock got hit, even though it probably just means that Bank of America is showing troubled borrowers and less forbearance, which if you're a shareholder, you might like. With that big loan loss provision, Bank of America took its medicine and that sets them up for better earnings going forward. They're not pushing these problematic loans off until the middle of next year. More importantly, The excellent CEO, Brian Moynihan, told a pretty compelling story on the conference call about a strong start to October. Spending by the consumers remained solid, up 10% year-over-year. Deposits are still elevated. Loan demand stabilizing. Moynihan says we might have seen that trough in September. This was a much better result than it seemed, which explains why Bank of America stock rallied 2% today as buyers circled back to it because they looked at it and they realized it wasn't a weak quarter. It was a great quarter. I think they did a terrific job. And if banks weren't so out of favor, I could have seen this one really run. By the way, the digitization of this bank is unlike any other. They have really figured it out. I use Zelle. I love it. That leaves the weakest of the money centers, and those are Citigroup and Wells Fargo. Of the two, Citi's in much better shape, but the story's complicated and not in a good way. See, when Citi reported on Tuesday morning, the actual numbers, they looked terrific. The big bank posted a solid revenue beat alongside a monster earnings beat. They made $1.40 per share. Wall Street was only looking for 94 cents. And that's in spite of a $26 billion allowance for credit losses and loans. Cities also got a great capital uh, position. The tangible book value, what they'd really be worth if they closed up shop and liquidated, which they're not going to do, is now worth $71.95 per share. Uh, that's the, it's, it's, it's an amazing discount from that number I just gave you. But that's not what anyone cared about. Remember, the big news going into the quarter was that CEO Mike Corbett announced his retirement. It's about the same time we learned that Citi had a huge fine coming over some serious delinquencies in its risk management and internal controls. They needed to change the narrative on the conference call, but instead they got people worried that it could cost another couple of billion to appease the regulars. Plus, I had the feeling they got to put billions more into their technology just to catch up with the other guys. So that's a negative. Now, I want to contrast that with Wells Fargo, which had bad complications on top of an already bad quarter, failing to meet Wall Street's already lowered expectations. Yesterday morning, Wells Fargo posted a modest revenue beat, but the earnings were weaker than expected. The conference call was less than stellar. Like JP Morgan City, Wells Fargo reported a much smaller than expected loan loss provision, yet somehow they still missed the earnings estimates. In response, the stock correctly dropped 6% yesterday. But you know what? The quarter wasn't even the worst news we got about Wells Fargo. After the close last night, which is one of the more outrageous things, Bloomberg reported that Wells had dismissed over 100 employees for improperly receiving coronavirus relief money. It looks like some of their staffers may have defrauded the Small Business Administration. Oopsie. Wells Fargo's relatively new CEO, Charlie Scharf, uh, has spent his whole tenure desperately trying to repair the bank's tarnished image. If he can't stop his employees from effectively stealing COVID bailout money, I mean, what does that tell you? This bank still has very serious problems. Look, don't overthink this one. Charlie Scharf's a good man. He has been trying to orchestrate a turnaround here, but that's still very much a work in progress, and it may be too early to think about buying Wells Fargo. Who knows if the scandals are even done? Eventually, this thing might be worth owning for speculation. I don't know if we're there yet after that conference call and then the subsequent news. Bottom line, if you want financial exposure here, I recommend going with Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley. They are in fabulous shape, and they really have nothing to do with traditional banking anymore. If you insist on owning one of the money centers, it's J.P. Morgan, or you might like Bank of America. Uh, then there's the miss- messy but incredibly cheap Citigroup from book value. And then there's the pitiful helpless Wells Fargo, which I still can't come up with a good thing to say about, other than the fact if Charlie Scharf were to come on the show... I give him all the time in the world he needed to tell us why we should buy the stock. Let's go to Rom
1: in New Jersey. Rom, hey Jim, thank you for taking my question. Of course, Ron. This stock is like a PayPal of Brazil, and the stock ticker is Stoneco SPNE. I'm making decent gain in this stock, and I've read a few research reports of this company. And the price target, average price target, is around 110. Uh, also, this is Warren Buffett's uh, conviction list. So should I hold a book? You know, this and,
0: you know this and uh, Mercado Libre, the two uh, Latin American stocks I kind of like. Uh, I think you can hold on to it. I think it's a winner. Uh, and I'm glad you brought it to our our viewers' attention. We should do more on Stone Co. Uh, OK, so we've run the gauntlet here. All right. It's done. Well, the big ones are done. I want to cite the little ones. And if you want these tier one, I'm moving them almost out of banking. They are now into pure brokerage and to asset management. Money centers, you go with Bank of America or J.P. Morgan, and then these. I don't know. uh, eh. Anyway, much more money at, including my exclusive with a very controversial company called Sorrento. No, not the town, the therapeutic one. Company's R&D day left much to be desired. But can the company turn its luck around? I'm going to talk with the CEO. Then months into the pandemic, is the work from home thesis spent? Is it over? I'll give you my take. And, of course, all your calls rapid-fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. What do you do when a speculative stock suddenly becomes controversial? Consider the case of Sorrento Therapeutics. I know a favorite from reading my Twitter file. Here's a company that uses antibody-based technology to develop treatments for pain, autoimmune diseases, and COVID-19. In fact, when it comes to COVID, they're working on diagnostic tests, vaccines, and antibody therapeutics. Sounds pretty good. Now, in August, Sorrento surged to nearly $20 before a short seller at a place called Hindenburg Research, those are the same guys who took down Nikola, published a negative report Uh, Then not long after, the CFO suddenly got fired. In response, the stock plunged from 18 to 5 and changed over the course of a few weeks. Since then, the stock's quietly made a nice comeback, climbing to $10 as of today. On September 17th, they got FDA clearance to start a phase one trial of their COVID antibody treatment. Then we got some positive preclinical data on this thing last month. So has this stock gotten its mojo back? Let's check in with Dr. Henry G. He's the co-founder, chairman and CEO of Sorrento Therapeutics. Get a better sense of his company's prospects. Dr. G, welcome back to Mad Money.
1: Hey, thank you very much, Jim. Uh, booyah from uh, sunny San Diego. <laughs> well, booyah to you. Thank you so much. Okay, now,
0: the, uh, the president took this for generon drug. Uh, it, it, you know, This is a therapeutic, and it worked remarkably. Uh, tell us where your therapeutics are.
1: Yes, uh, we're actually uh, very happy with the regenerative works on the most powerful main in the in the globally, and we feel very vindicated that uh, we starting from May, we said the neutralizing antibody against COVID nineteen virus is the one of the potential solution, and we, we feel vindicated that the, our approach to generate, discover, and the most potent antibodies in the space against COVID-19, potentially uh, providing the tools to combat the disease or pandemic to open up the society. So right. we're extremely happy with the regenerate data, and we're extremely uh, confident we have one of the most potent antibody, if not the most potent antibody in the space.
0: So where are you in terms of uh, getting emergency uh, use authorization?
1: So we have the first product, which is the COVID-God 1499. We submit and got the FDA clearance. Now we have a, a sites open up and we're ready to test in human. And the second one, which is next generation, we feel that's the most important antibody in the space. We are having the CGMP manufactured in the 500 liters bioreactor reactor now. We're gonna have the hundreds of grams of the proteins, which is the antibody ready to go. So we are ready to submit the IMD, at the end of beginning of November.
0: Okay, now how about the 30-minute rapid test that you licensed from Columbia? Is that different from others? People tell me, well, wait a second, there are many different rapid 30-minute tests. What makes the Columbia test so significant?
1: One of the things is about the sensitivity. So the limit of the detection for the appointment of care, diagnostic is the key. So you want to get your answer within the, within an hour or 45 minutes or mm-hmm. so. The uh, Dr. Ziff Williams group submit the EOA based on the technology they have, which is a high performance lamp amplification that is already submitted to the FDA. And the limit of detection here right now, extremely low, which is a, about a one to two copies per microliter, which translate to a potentially the one carrier is asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic. So that means if you can detect the virus in your mouth in the saliva with a pre-symptomatic or asymptomatic, you pretty much can detect the person that potentially could be a virus carrier. That will be open up at the society in the busy traffic uh, business setting.
0: Right, so what kind of time frame are we looking at there? Perhaps that we would all be using. Oh, so we
1: have done we have done the jam last few months. That was very closely working with uh, the Columbia team, mm-hmm. and we did very detailed technology transfer, and sometimes in person. And uh, we feel very confident right now. We have the limit of detection, which is for pre-symptomatic patient. Okay. And we are right now testing the clinical samples. We are going to be a, submit the EOA from us very shortly.
0: Okay. Uh, you know, now, there are some skeptics out there, Dr. G. We know that the share count has doubled in the last couple of years. And we also know that your one day your CFO left. Now, one of the things that we bought in Mad Money, as you know, because you're watching, watcher, know, we think that's a red flag. What did exactly happen to your CFO? And what did it mean for the
1: company? So actually, uh, Jim, every one of the small company goes through the same process. They become big. You know, if you in the early days when Salging was small in 1993, I did the put, you know, selling put, you know, it's investing uh, in I caught up with the company and the guy's answering the phone is Saul Bell. You know, Saul Bell. Sure, is I do. The chairman of Salgin, right? Yes, I do. And he actually that day he acted as a secretary and nobody believed in Salgin. Nobody believed in Saul's vision to be a very big company. I actually believed in him. And they brought in a CFO that time as Bob Hugan from J.P. Morgan. So it's the same comp- process. Every company from small to big, they went through all the drills. We're right now. Bob became the CEO.
0: He, Bob's my next door neighbor. Eventually. He, he prospered. He did a great job. He ran all the way up and Selgin Cel- became a great big company, but they didn't have any,
1: there weren't any conflicts there or red flags. Yes, but uh, the, the Bob Hugan uh, is a great CFO to start with. Then become a great CEO. And we are right now having our a CFO as very experienced in complex, uh, you know, uh, financial okay. reporting. And uh, for the uh, merger position, as you know, we're doing quite a bit, and we need somebody. In from the big four, accounting firms, and help guiding us for complex transactions okay. to make the company from very small to very big. All right. Well, look, we're all
0: hoping that you get antibodies to us, and we're hoping that the saliva test works, and we wish you the best of luck, sir. Thank you so much for coming on Mad Money.
1: Thank you very much, Jim. Okay.
0: That is Dr. Henry G., Chairman, President and CEO of Sorrento Therapeutics, SRNE. I know it's a favorite of many of yours on Twitter, so we felt we should definitely bring the doctor on. Stay with Craig. It is time! It's time for the night round. There's a round. Let's pop round. Play this out. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? over the night round. Please, I'm going to start with Artie in New Jersey. Artie. Hey, Jim. Long time viewer. First time caller. Okay. First time. First time. Long time. Long time. Long time. Thank, thank you, sir. With the deployment of 5G network, Crown Castle, CPI, is it still positioned to grow and expand on its already existing infrastructure? Yes. I mean, people are upset that this thing hasn't just soared higher. I say give it a little time. Come on. These stocks have been great for a long time, and Elliot's in there. I'm saying buy it. Now I want to go to Mike in Florida. I want to go Mike my bike
1: Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Mike. taking my call. First time, long time. My okay. My question is on solar edge. I took my initial investment out and I'm 700% up. Is it time to sell and invest in hydrogen?
0: Well, if you've taken off your initial investment and you're playing with Alice's money, you no, know, you keep running it. This, All the solar stocks are going nuts. And uh, what can I say? They've got some bunch of new ones, too. First, solar's high, but people love solar. It's gotten economic. David in Pennsylvania, David. Jim, Booya, Booyah, booyah David. Uh, my buddy and I, Terry, have been going back and forth about this stock, Sunrun. The ticker is RUN. She's uh, ever since its acquisition of DSLR last week, it's been all a bit of a tumble. Is it a buy or a sell? It's going higher. I mean, I'm, I'm feeling that, you know, the, the Blackstone, they offer the stock, 61, 62. It's going to be a buy. These stocks are hot. I mean, look, I hate recommending stocks because they're hot. I mean, like, I, you know, it's the sun's hot. They're hot. But but they're they're working. Let's go to Dexter in California, please. Dexter. Jimmy, chill. How are yeah. you? Oh, the chill will be fine. How about you? I'm well, I'm well,
1: Jim, there's no dispute who the current leader in the electric vehicle space is. But this space is still growing and I think it has many winners. One Shanghai-based EV automaker received a billion dollar cash in April. Then they raised more money in September. And through
0: and JP Morgan just raised their price target on them yesterday. The stock's been up two days in a row in down markets. What do you think about NEO? Oh my god, Neo. Okay, so alright, Neo was down all the way down, you know, I had 60 minutes, went from six to ten, then went down to one. It's been a straight line up. Neo is the Tesla of China. I've been recommending Alibaba. That's been my Chinese play. But I recognize Neo is a hot one. I am not going to stick my neck out, but I'm not going to fight you if you like Neo. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
1: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
0: We're seven months into this pandemic, and the stay-at-home thesis just won't quit. Let me give you some examples. This morning, an alpha called Icon Health and Fitness sued Peloton, one of the hottest stocks in the market. You might recognize Icon as NordicTrack. Until Peloton came along, it was the -the state-of-the-art for the home gym. They're suing Peloton over an abstruse patent, and you had to figure it would at least put a dent in the stock, right? I mean, that's big news. Well, nobody cared. Nobody cared about the Nordic track lawsuit because this morning Bank of America predicted a big holiday season for these guys. So Peloton rallied almost five bucks. I mean, this thing, it won't quit. Next up. Whenever I talk to wise guys who think they know everything about the market, they'll tell me my love for Zoom video is ridiculous. They say the company's growing too fast, got too much competition, don't know what they're doing. Look, I don't know how to value this thing any more than you do, but it's not like Zoom's sitting still. They got a deal with DocuSign that makes you feel like you're face to face when you sign a contract. They got another product that makes you feel like you're at a concert. All this stuff keeps Zoom one step ahead of the posse and the short sellers. And it's a verb, for heaven's sake! I got to zoom. I was going to zoom. Zoom call today. I mean, I'm going to Zoom the guy. We're all Zooming. So who's Zooming who? So what if it trades at 50 times sales? Think of Zoom as an entity trying to grow into its market cap. If we're headed back into another lockdown or pseudo lockdown or partial lockdown, you better believe Zoom gets a major boost. And that's why the stock made a new all-time high today. (laughs) my God. Or how about the Soon to be Public DoorDash's new initiative, DoorDash for Work? This scheme will let businesses offer their employees meals benefits while they're working from home. Hey, why not? DoorDash used to have a thriving business delivering food to the office. Now they've reverse engineered to follow people home. Makes sense. If employers want to recruit talent, they can't rely on the usual office-based amenities to make the workplace seem more enticing. Fourth, the packaging place, which I've been loath to recommend. Stocks like International Paper and Westrock, they've been in the doghouse for ages. They added too much capacity to meet the demand for delivery. It's got so bad that they had to close mills and shut down the production. But that's all changed with the stay-at-home economy. We've never had so much demand for boxes. Look at FedEx up again today. The price increases for liner board are starting to come. And as the son of a liner board salesman, once they start rising, the trajectory is going to be straight up. You're going to be hearing raising numbers, international paper, raising numbers, West Rock, from here to eternity. Fifth, the home builders are back in focus. Every time COVID flares up, people flee the cities for the suburbs. I say flee the suburbs for Lenar. Finally, now that Wall Street has essentially given up on the possibility of a stimulus bill, thanks for nothing, Washington, the entire restaurant industry is in big trouble. Unless, that is, they have the cash to close the restaurants and wait out the pandemic, in which case they'll come out of this, well, this last man standing, right? That's how Darden, parent of Olive Garden, could cross 100 today. i got to tell you, if you're going to want Italian food in this country, thank you, Congress, they've given you Olive Garden. I hope you like the bottomless salad. I hope you like the rolls provided by the Senate and the House and Secretary Mnuchin. I hope you enjoy all those great amenities, like those things they put that you can order stuff in the middle of the table. Yeah. Thank you, Congress. Alfredo. Anyway, they can shut down all the other restaurants. Hey, by the way, these places, these places you know what's great about these places? They can put up really nice plexiglass so it looks like you're like a, uh, going to a bank. They can move a bunch of tables, and they can still stay in business. Same goes for Chipotle, McDonald's, Wendy's, young Brands, but not Bar San Miguel. Eventually, we'll get a vaccine. Everything's going to go back to normal. It's going to be terrific. It'll be fantastic. But unlike your neighborhood bistro, well, these big players can afford to wait as long as it takes. By failing to pass the stimulus bill, Congress has effectively doomed every mom-and-pop restaurant out there. Bad news if you like really great food. Hey, but great news if you own the stocks of these companies. Yeah! All right, you can always cook at home. Of course, there's still some outliers. The video game stocks have stalled. I don't get any of that. Sony and Microsoft are about to launch brand-new consoles. I recommend buying Take-Two Interactive, my favorite. My Travel Trust owns it. It's going to have a huge holiday season. I think the FAANG stocks should be able to rally. They got hurt today. Uh, They were held back by a European shakedown, like I mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, I say don't worry about it. France and the Netherlands aren't trying to regulate big tech. They just want some money. Put it all together, though, and the stay-at-home story, it's not quitting. Every time we get hit with another wave of COVID infections, it's as wave three. When wave four happens and wave five happens, these stocks will keep roaring. I bet they're going to keep roaring until we all have been vaccinated. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you next time. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.